All right, we welcome you to part eight in our series. We are working through the book of Acts, Heroes of the Faith. As we're going through the book of Acts, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, we are studying those heroes of the faith, those ordinary believers that God touches and uses them in extraordinary ways. And the theme verse for the whole book of Acts is this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where it says, you will be my witnesses. And notice the Bible says not they will be my witnesses, but you. God is calling you to be his witness. And when you're his witness, you become a hero of the faith. And there's all sorts of ways to be his witness. By the way, the word witness, it's the Greek word maturus, from which we get the word martyrs. So many early Christians sealed their witness for Christ with their blood that maturus or witness came to mean martyrs. Wow, that's incredible. And this morning we're going to look at Stephen, who became the first Christian to be martyred for his faith. Many have followed in his wake, but Stephen, without question, is a hero of the faith. Not just because he was martyred for his faith, but watch this primarily because of how he lived that led to him being martyred for his faith. Now, earlier I gave you a very unusual discussion question. If you could choose how you would die, how would you choose how you would die? Now, the fact is, none of us can choose how we will die, unless you were to commit suicide, which is unbiblical. But we can choose how we will live. And if that choice of how we will live would lead to actually like it did to Stephen being martyred, well, so be it. It's pretty radical. How did Stephen live his life? We're going to study that this morning. And I want us to, though, start at the end of Stephen's life. Many of you are very familiar with this scripture. Some of you, this is the first time you've ever heard it. But I want us to start at the end of Stephen's life. So take your your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 7, and let's read verses 54 to 60. This is the actual martyrdom of Stephen. Acts 7, 54 to the end of the chapter. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. Now, clue, when someone gnashes their teeth at you, that's, things aren't going well, Okay. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. We'll talk about that later. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named who? Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep, and Saul approved of their killing of him. So this is the description we have of how Stephen died, how he was martyred. The question becomes this. I don't want to study and go into detail about how he died. We see it. It's plain. We'll talk about stoning a little later. But we want to go into detail about how he lived. Stephen really, he chose to live, if you really study his life, 
as a courageous witness for the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter the cost. And this is where our hero of the faith trait, you know, connects with us in our lives. So let me give you that right now. One of the most heroic things you can do is to be a courageous witness, no matter the cost. Hmm. When you and I choose to be a courageous witness today for the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter the cost, that is heroic. You've just entered into the realm of being a hero of the faith. Many times in your life, you'll be given the opportunity to take a stand for Jesus, to be his witness. And when you do that, you become a hero of the faith. Look again, if you would, at verse 55, because this is amazing. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God, and he saw Jesus, what, standing at the right hand of God. Every time you read this elsewhere in Scripture, it's Jesus is always, what, seated at the right hand of God. But God gave Stephen, as he was dying, a vision into heaven, and he saw Jesus standing. Watch this. Jesus stood in honor of Stephen. It's amazing. So here's the question that I want to give us today as we begin to think about this. How can we live our life so that when we die, regardless of how we will die, and none of us, is, of us knows, how can we live our life in such a way that Jesus will actually stand in honor of us and welcome us into heaven? Wow. Answer, live like Stephen. Live a life like Stephen, and you will have a hero's welcome into heaven. So the real question today is not how Stephen died. We know that. It's really how he lived that led up to him dying the way he did. But there's a clue that we're given. And I I really studied this chapter 7 and chapter 6, and I'm like, what is this about Stephen's life? And there's this phrase that's used again and again about Stephen. It says, Stephen was a man full of dot, dot, dot. There are six things that Stephen was full of that caused him to live the way he lived. I don't know about you, but I've met, uh, I'll get into this later, many, many persecuted Christians, and I'm in awe of them. And someone that would actually give their life to Jesus Christ and be killed for their faith, that is so courageous. What makes that kind of Christianity? I mean, what is that that would cause that much commitment? Six things. These six things are livable by you and I. And if we live this way, it's the foundation for being a courageous witness in our world, our day and age today. So this is what we want to do. I want to study this morning these six traits of heroic, of a heroic courageous witness in the hopes that all of us, including myself, will become like Stephen. Amen? Amen. Now, watch this. The first five traits we're going to cover real quick because we've already mentioned them in chapter 6. But they really talk about Stephen's character and how he lived. And so I want us to look at that. Then we're going to spend the most time on trait six, which is really the theme of chapter seven. So six traits of of a heroic, courageous witness. Number one, heroic, courageous witnesses are filled with the Holy Spirit and follow the Spirit. Now, as you go back to chapter six, and we already studied this, and and you look at verse three, this is the choosing of these seven servants. And verse three Brothers and sisters, choose seven men. Stephen was among them. And he says, who are full 
of the Spirit and wisdom, and he goes on with other things that these men, including Stephen, were full of. And the first is this. If you want to be a heroic witness for the Lord, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit because it takes supernatural power to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ, even in our day and age. Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. And the only way to be God's courageous witness here in the United States is by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, the country I've traveled to often is China, and I'm often with our Chinese brothers and sisters. There is a major persecution that is being unleashed on the Chinese church even right now. We need to pray. And oftentimes, I will be with these, and I've interviewed them dozens of times, and I will interview and get their stories, and just in tears of my eyes, I will just say, I don't know how you have so much courage to be beaten for your faith, to take so much you know, persecution and remain faithful to the Lord. And you know what they say to me? They will say, Mark, we don't know how you remain a courageous Christian in the United States. There is so much temptation in the United States. There is so much materialism in the United States. Whether you are beaten for your faith or you have it in luxury, if you want to be a courageous witness for the Lord Jesus Christ and not deny him in opulence and materialism, you've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, you just blend in. No one even knows you're a Christian and you have no witness. Are you following me? Number two, heroic, courageous witnesses are filled with wisdom and demonstrated. It says in chapter 6, verse 3, that Stephen was full of wisdom. And when you live a wise life in this worldly environment of the United States, it sets you apart as a courageous witness. The way you deal with your, your time, your talent, your treasure, your family, your marriage, when you choose Christian values and you're living, you're going to shine, and you're going to be different. And wisdom is, is living your life under the Lord in every area of your life. The, Paul said, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Heroic, courageous witnesses, number three, are filled with faith and live by it. Chapter 6, verse 5 says Stephen was filled with faith. Paul talks about how we live by faith, not by sight. Believers who are courageous witnesses, they live by faith. Let me give you some simple ways that we live by faith. Praying before you eat publicly, even at work. Wow. It's simple, but it's a courageous act of faith. Some of you have never done that. Wow, that's an act of faith. Inviting someone to church, it's an act of faith. That's courageousness. Praying for someone who's really hurting. That's an act of faith. And it's courageous. And it brings you into a hero of the faith realm. Number four, hero courageous witnesses, they're filled with grace and show it. Chapter 6, verse 8 says, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace. Grace is unmerited favor. And when we show grace to watch this unkind people, someone who doesn't deserve it, right? That is an act of courageous witnessing. And if you're like that at work, everyone's going to take notice of you. You're going to come in and to, to be at a completely different category of recognition. You will come to the category of being a courageous witness because you're not writing that person off that everyone else writes off. Sure, that guy or that gal, they're, they're irritating. They don't deserve grace. 
But when you go out of your way, that is courageousness. That's being like Christ to show grace to people who don't deserve it. That is, you are setting yourself apart. This is how Stephen lived. This is also, it's going to lead up to why he was martyred. But it's a trait of courageous witnessing to show grace to people who don't deserve it. Number five, heroic courageous witnesses are filled with power and trusted. Chapter 6, verse 8 talks about how, again, Stephen was filled with power and performed great wonders and signs among the people. One of the most courageous things you and I can do is to offer to pray for people, believing that God will heal them and do a miracle in their life. And as we pray for non-Christians, witnessing to them, putting on display that we trust the power of God to heal. Wow, that is courageous witnessing. Now, can I give you a principle? People are always watching you. If you claim to know Christ and people know you're a Christian, number one, you're a courageous witness in your environment. I don't know what your environment is. Number one, do people know you're a Christian? If so, that's the first step to becoming a courageous witness. And then are you living out these five things? Guess what? People will watch you. They will, your neighbors are going to watch you. Coworkers are going to watch you. You go to the gym, they will watch you because they're wondering, is this guy, is this gal really real? People are desperate for someone who's real and genuine. They're looking for hope. They're looking at you. How did Stephen live his life? As a courageous witness in these first five areas, regardless of what it would lead to. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and he followed the Holy Spirit's lead. He was filled with wisdom and demonstrated. He was filled with faith and lived by it, filled with grace and showed it, filled with power and trusted it. Now, let me give you three things that will result, will happen when you live this way. If you live out these five things as a courageous public witness, whatever environment you're in, these things, these three things will eventually happen. Number one, when you live this way, opposition will come. If you live as a courageous witness at your work, for example, it's just a matter of time. Have you noticed there's a spiritual battle going on all around us? Especially if you use the name Jesus. If you speak up and use the name Jesus at work, you can get written up. That used to never happen in the United States. Persecution is starting to rise in our country. You use the name Jesus, you pray in the name of Jesus, you can be fired now from certain jobs. It's coming to our country because we're in a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6.12 says we don't fight against flesh and blood. It's not a physical battle. We, we fight against spiritual principalities of evil and demonic beings. This is what's going on. Opposition will come. You start naming the name of Jesus. So notice how opposition, this is where we're going to get into Stephen's life right now. Notice how it unfolds for Stephen. Verses 9 and following. We're in chapter uh, 6 here. Look, if you would, at verse 9. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom of the spirit that, that, that God had given to him as he spoke. So watch this. Stephen is clearly speaking about Jesus Christ being the Messiah, that salvation is found only uh, in Christ through faith in Christ alone and not in the law. And this was infuriating these groups of Jews. Have you noticed this teaching will infuriate anyone as well? You tell anyone 
that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, which is the truth, get ready for a fight. And this is what is happening with Stephen. Bible says, 2 Timothy 3.12, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, living godly for Christ, making Christ public, man, you're going to be persecuted. Number two, when you live this way, false accusations will fly. You see, if people can't refute your witness for Jesus, and they can't because he is the truth, they'll often take it to the next level and they'll start to say false things against you. On Twitter, on Facebook, right to your face, behind your back. And notice this, how this happened with Stephen. Look if you would at verse 11. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. That's not the truth. Stephen never did that. But they're making up a lie. They're attacking him. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. Now we showed you a picture of the Sanhedrin, remember? This is the uh, Supreme Court of the Jews. There were 70 members and one other, the high priest, and they made all sorts of decisions about uh, the law and, and religious practices. And they produced false witnesses in this setting, so they bring you know, Stephen before this group, and they give all these false witnesses testifying. This guy, Stephen, he never stopped speaking against the holy place, that's the temple, and against the law... We have heard him say this, that this Jesus of Nazareth, it's always about Jesus, will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. Wow. They were falsely claiming Stephen had blasphemed Moses, God, and the temple. We're going to look at those charges in a little bit, but I want to give you a point of application. The false accusations you face will come from different sources than what Stephen faced. Sometimes those accusations are going to fly because you keep talking about Jesus from your family members, from neighbors, from people at the gym, from co-workers. Our brothers and sisters in Pakistan face blasphemy laws. Are you familiar with this? It's not the only Muslim country. Many believers are thrown into prison just because someone accuses them of blasphemy against the Quran. There's no basis for this at all. But believers are thrown into prison on a regular basis because someone just claims that they said something against the Quran. Asya Bibi, are you familiar with her? She's been uh, languishing on death row in Pakistan for eight years for such a false accusation. She was finally released November 7, 2018, but there are many believers today around the world. They're falsely accused. This is what happens. Opposition will come about Jesus, and then it moves into spreading lies. Do not be surprised, the Bible says, if, uh, the, at the fiery ordeal that comes to you to test you as though something strange were happening. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. If you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. It's normal for Christians to suffer around the world, and it's coming more and more and more. And the more you become a courageous witness in the United States, the more you and I will face persecution. Thirdly, when you live this way, an opportunity will arise for you to be the Lord's courageous witness. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but the greatest platform for you being God's witness may very well come in the midst of your persecution. This is what God does. He uses persecution as an opportunity to amplify the gospel to those who would never hear otherwise. 
and for your life, there may come a point where you will be persecuted. Some of you right now are being persecuted. And this message is really speaking to you. You're watching on video. But there will come a point in your life, a Stephen moment in your life of testing, where you will have the opportunity to rise up to be a hero of the faith. Now, you look at verse 15, it says this, all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin, this is chapter 6 still, were looking intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. We'll talk about that in a second. Go to chapter 7, verse 1. Then the high priest asked Stephen, are these charges true? To this he replied, and we're going to get into that reply in just a second. So you picture yourself, picture Stephen coming before the Sanhedrin again. Look at this. Brought in before this body. Now, I'm not saying you're going to be brought in before the Sanhedrin, but guess what? One day you're going to be brought in face-to-face with one person or two or a group of people or something at work. I don't know. You're going to face this. If you're living for Jesus Christ, you will. Charles Swindoll just says this, and I want you to take this in before we move forward. Imagine yourself standing before the most powerful and influential officials in your country's government. Evidence has been presented that makes you appear guilty of a capital crime for which the sentence of death will be carried out before sundown. These officials have the power to decide whether you live or die. And if you die, how quick and how painful your death will be. Your next words determine what happens next. Do you feel the pressure of Stephen's situation? Stephen looked at his circumstances, and instead of feeling the pressure to save his own life, he saw a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Do you see your persecution as an opportunity? For a few precious moments, he was given the undivided, undivided attention of the most powerful and influential men in Jerusalem. Rather than waste these moments, pleading for his own life, he chose to say what Israel's leaders needed to hear. And we're going to study that in a second. I want to bring us back to what this is all about. It's about living a life as a courageous Christian in the United States of America. I'm not preaching to those outside our country. You and I are called to make the application of being courageous here. And when we look at Stephen, it begins by being filled with the Holy Spirit, being filled with wisdom, filled with faith, filled with grace, filled with power. And when we live this way, opposition will come, false accusations will fly, and an opportunity will arise to be God's courageous witness. That brings us to where we're at right now with Stephen. Now, we're going to talk about what you do when you're given the opportunity to actually speak before your accusers after I give you this discussion question. But I want you to kind of share about this a little bit at your tables. Of these first five traits of a courageous witness, which one most speaks to you and why? You know, of these first five things that Stephen just lived out in your own life, in your own setting, which one of these is like, wow, that is a trait that I want to possess in greater measure in my own life as a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ? Would you take a moment, talk about that at your tables, then we'll move forward. Okay, let me give you the sixth trait to being a courageous witness modeled by Stephen. It's this, heroic courageous witnesses are filled with God's truth and they speak it. Filled with God's truth and they speak it. You know, when you read your Bible, when you come here and you hear God's word preached, 
Do you know God has a purpose for all that? You know what that purpose is? That purpose is going to lead you one day to taking all that you've learned, sharing it boldly, what your true convictions are before a God-ordained audience into the future that you don't even know yet what that will be. There's going to come a point, and maybe many, where God wants you to rise up and be courageous and actually speak truth, God's Word. So I want you to picture again, Stephen, before this Sanhedrin, maybe picture yourself before what your group might be like. The high priest asked Stephen, are these charges true? What would you say? What are you going to say one day? When you are asked, do you believe in Jesus? Were you talking about Christ as being the only way to God? Were you praying on company time? I don't know. What is it going to look like? What will you say? How will you say it? To this, Stephen replied, and we have in the next 59 verses something masterful that unfolds. We see in these verses a man who's filled with God's truth and courageously speaks God's truth, and it ultimately leads in his situation to him being killed. God's truth is God's word, it's the Bible. So, how can I courageously be filled, you know, with God's truth and God's word and, and truly speak that truth should I ever be called upon to do so? And guess what? One day you will. So let me give you four ways to courageously speak God's truth as modeled by Stephen. And really, this is everything has been introduction before this. This is the heart of chapter 7, what we're going to look at. The first thing, when you would be given that opportunity, number one is just be you. Be you. You don't have to be Stephen. You're not called to be Paul. You're not called to be Mark. You're called to be you in that situation. Now look if you would, again, go to verse 15. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin, this is chapter 6, looked intently at Stephen and they saw his face like the face of an angel. Now, most commentators don't believe this was some supernatural moment like with Moses. Remember with Moses, the Shekinah glory came on Moses and he lit up like a Christmas tree? (laughs) This is not really what most believe is happening with Stephen here. It's that Stephen had this look of serene confidence and peace. Wow. He didn't show any anxiety or guilt. What the religious leaders typically saw on the faces of indicted men that would come before the Sanhedrin, a very intimidating place. And they look at Stephen, and he has a look on him of quiet, calm, and confidence that probably they'd never seen before. Now, how did this, how did this come about? And Luke chapter 12, verse 11, it's in your notes, I believe is the answer. This is what Jesus said. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourself or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. There are so many um, persecuted Christians that I've interviewed over the years. And I always ask them this question, do you believe in this verse? And they just say, Pastor, and I'll tell you a story right now of one, I was in prison, I'm asked all these questions, I'm brought before courts, and the Holy Spirit just gives me the words. And it was a miracle. Um, Some of you know 
this dear friend of mine. His name is Snowman, Chinese pastor. And uh, a few years back, he was arrested. He was taken into prison. He was tortured for a full day, 24 hours. And God just, uh, they were trying to get him to deny his faith. And uh, he refused to do so. God gave him the words. Well, they took him outside, and it was at winter. And he was stripped of his clothing. They tied his uh, hands behind his back, tied a rope around his ankles, and literally hoisted him over a tree limb, snow on the ground, pulled him up, tied, off the knot, tied it off, and they literally left him there to die all night long. They went home, actually. They came back the next day laughing, expecting to see him a frozen popsicle. And when they turned the corner and saw him, literally steam is emanating off his body. And they gave him the name Snowman. His reputation has just gone throughout China. He now leads a movement that we support. Over a million Christians are part of this church planting movement. And he's one of the pastors that we support. We support pastors in his movement. And I asked Snowman... I asked him, I said, how did this all come about? He talked about how God courageously, or God just gave him the grace and the strength and the words in these moments. He's just himself. He's a simple man. Wow. Be you. When you have that moment, it's going to come to testify courageously. Just be you, like snowmen. God will provide everything else. He'll give you the words. Second, be respectful. I look at verse 1. And we're finally getting to chapter 7, aren't we? Then the high priest asked Stephen, are these charges true? To this he replied, notice how he begins. Brothers and fathers. I just love that. I mean, these are those that have falsely accused him of crimes he had not committed. And he begins by saying, brothers and fathers. Those who are his same age, he's calling brothers. Those who are older, he's using the term fathers. A very dignifying, gracious term. It's beautiful. So when you're given this opportunity, be respectful of your audience. Don't go railing. That's not what Christians do. Speaking the truth in love is what Ephesians 4.15 says. Colossians 4.6 says, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Be gracious in your comments. And what we're going to see with Stephen and all of his comments here, they're very gracious, and he begins in a very kind way. When the temptation would be to yell at them, for all of the fact that there's no basis for any of this, but he's respectable. You know, oftentimes, and Christians will ask me oftentimes, you know, Mark, where do I begin? If I want to really understand the persecuted church, and I often recommend Tortured for Christ, the, the book by Richard Warmbrand, highly recommend this. This book will change your life. This is the founder of the ministry, Voice of the Martyrs, and there are many, many books that I recommend on Christian persecution, but I encourage you to start with this one. We have it in the bookstore. But it, it, there, it illustrates in one, I'm going to read you one section. Richard Warmbrand was thrown into a Romanian prison for his faith, greatly tortured and all this. But I want to just read one section here, and I think about the respect and the grace and, and the kindness shown as he's testifying in prison, and it's such an example and he says this, in this section, he says, We made a deal. We preached and they beat. It was strictly forbidden to preach to other prisoners as it is in captive nations today. It was understood that whoever was caught doing this received a severe beating. 
a number of us decided to pay the price for the privilege of preaching. So we accepted their terms. It was a deal. We preached and they beat us. We were happy preaching. They were happy, happy beating us. So everybody was happy. <laughs> the following scene happened many more times than I can remember. A brother was preaching to the other prisoners when the guards suddenly burst in, surprising him halfway through a phrase. They hauled them down the corridor to their beating room. After what seemed an endless beating, they brought him back and threw him, bloody and bruised, on the prison floor. Slowly, he picked up his battered body, painfully straightened out his clothes, and said, Now, brethren, where did I leave off when I was rudely interrupted? And he continued his gospel message. And then Wormbrand says, I have seen beautiful things. This is the beauty of God's people being persecuted, but they show grace in return. One day, you will be persecuted for your faith if you live like Stephen. It's going to happen. And in that moment, be you. The Holy Spirit will give you the words. And then be respectful. Show grace. Show love. Number three, be specific. Now, in verses 2 through 53, this records Stephen's specific speech. These 51 verses, which you will need to read later, and I would encourage you to do so, it records Stephen's specific defense against the false charges brought against him. Stephen, he stands accused before the Sanhedrin of four of the most serious blasphemy charges imaginable in Jewish society. And Stephen addresses those four charges one at a time systematically. And the point I'm trying to make is we need to be specific and answer the specific you know, issues with respect to what we're being charged. But notice, Stephen stood falsely accused of blasphemy against God. And in verses 2 to 19, he shares how he has not blasphemed God. Stephen stood falsely accused of blasphemy against Moses. And in verses 20 to 37, he shares the story and scripture of how he has not blasphemed Moses. And then he stood accused falsely of blasphemy against the law. Verses 38 to 43, he shares how he has not blasphemed the law. And then he was, again, stood there accused of blasphemy against the temple. Verses 45, 44 to 50, he shares how he's not blasphemed the temple. Now, when we read this lengthy script section in our Bibles... Um, it sounds like Stephen is just reciting so much history, and he is. And honestly, when I was a younger Christian, I used to read this, and I'm going, he's just talking, and he's stalling. <laughs> I always say, he's just stalling. He's just given all this history. But then as I, you know, grown in my faith, and I've dug into it deeper, actually what he's doing is he's just masterfully showing how he's not guilty of blasphemy. Against God, Moses, the law, and the temple. It's absolutely an incredibly brilliant Holy Spirit-led defense against the charges of blasphemy brought against him. Now, there, there's a principle here that applies to us when we're accused. And 1 Peter 3.15 is the summary of it. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. You know, there's nothing wrong with addressing false accusations and providing a rational defense inspired by the Holy Spirit and God's Word as you give an answer when you are brought before others to do so. And at some point in your life, you will. 
It's going to happen. It happens to our brothers and sisters around the world every single day they're dealing with this. We just live in a country that's not experiencing the persecution like they do. Fourth way to speak the truth, to be God's heroic, courageous witness, is this. Be gospel bold. Now let me explain. There may come a point in your life where you will be compelled by the Holy Spirit, and only the Holy Spirit can compel you this way, to share the truth, and that truth, the gospel, in that setting, may cost you your job, your friends, your reputation, maybe even your life. As you study Stephen's speech, everything is slowly building until Stephen uh, literally reaches a bold gospel climax that will cost him his life. And before I read you Stephen's indictment on the Sanhedrin, which is unbelievable, let me remind you of a few things. Even though Stephen is standing before the most influential men in all Israel, the religious elite, these men are absolutely blinded by their sins. The veil was covering the eyes of these religious Jews, and Stephen's heart was moved by their lostness. And when you are brought before others one day, it could be one-on-one, it could be a group, you need to make sure you have compassion and you realize these people are acting this way because they don't belong to Christ and they are so blinded by their sin. And Stephen's heart was broken over the lostness of these Jews. At the same time, Stephen was moved by a certain righteous anger. These were the men who had, these are false accusations against him. And they had also falsely accused Jesus Christ of crimes he never committed, and they had been complicit in the crucifixion of Jesus, the same ruling body. If anyone in all Israel should have recognized that Jesus Christ was their long-awaited Messiah, it should have been the religious leaders in the Sanhedrin. But these men, Stephen knew, needed to know the truth for their own salvation and also for the salvation of Israel. Stephen has taken all this into consideration. And then Stephen goes gospel bold. In the three verses we're going to read right now, oh man, I just go, how could anyone have such boldness? They are filled with Old Testament prophetic judgment and indictment. Stephen tells them that by rejecting the Messiah, they were imitating their apostate fathers who God himself had rejected. Can you imagine saying this to the great, this is the Supreme Court coming into all the justices of our Supreme Court And telling them, it's not you who have blasphemed, it's the court who has blasphemed. This is tantamount to what Stephen is going to say. He was saying, in effect, I'm not guilty of blasphemy. You are the ones who are guilty of blasphemy against God and his Messiah. It is unbelievable. And only the Holy Spirit could lead you or me or anyone into such gospel boldness. Listen to Stephen as he goes gospel bold. Let's start. Chapter 7, look, look at, if you would, at verse 51, and just listen to this. Imagine the setting before all of these religious leaders, and this is what Stephen ends his speech with. He says, you stiff-necked people, wow, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. There are 71 men listening to Stephen. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. 
you who have received the law that was given through angels but have not obeyed it. Stephen was saying this, you think I have not obeyed the law? You guys can't even read the law and avoid not killing the Messiah. I mean, being complicit in his crucifixion. Wow, I mean, that is just like powerful. You know, the application I just want to make to us here. Heroic, courageous witnesses are filled with the truth of the gospel and speak it with boldness when the Holy Spirit leads them. As the Holy Spirit leads you. You know, the Apostle Paul prayed for this. He said in Ephesians 6, 19, Pray also for me that whenever I speak, I may be given words so that I will fearlessly make known the gospel. Can I ask you a question? How, how fearless are you and I when it comes to witnessing? Are we as fearless as the other? There are like 2.6 billion Christians on our planet. Are we shoulder to shoulder with our brothers and sisters? Are we being bold? Wow. There may come a time when the Holy Spirit, I mean, God wants boldness to always be characterizing our life, led of His Spirit, but there may come a time when God really calls you to be bold with a certain person or situation. What happened to Stephen? Well, Israel's finest minds and most respected statesmen turned into a lynch, lynch mob. Verse 54, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious. They gnashed their teeth at Stephen. But notice how Stephen continues to stay gospel bold. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Wow, that was really soothing to their ears. What happens? Verse 57, at that they covered their ears. They could not even hear this. Yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at Stephen. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Stoning, by the way, was the traditional form of execution in Israel. Stoning is, by its very nature, communal in form. It's a communal form of capital punishment because no one person can be assigned the blame ultimately for killing that person and no one also gets the credit because everyone who gives the final blow, no one knows. Notice, even as they're stoning Stephen, though, that he's still going gospel bold. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, and they're pelting him with stones. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees, and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Saul heard that. That would haunt Saul, who would become the Apostle Paul. But Saul, at that moment, was joining the mob. And he approved of their killing of him. Don't think Stephen's death was in vain because I'll tell you, Saul will become the greatest of all apostles to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Don't think also for a moment that any believer's death is in vain. How often are Christians martyred today? According to Rick Warren, one every five minutes. Every five minutes. Christian, it's martyred, killed. Tertullian said the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The seed of the church. 
Somehow God uses that witness to further his gospel in these areas of the world. The Sanhedrin's attempt to stamp out the church failed to do so and failed to spread the gospel further. One of the most courageous things you and I can do is be a courageous witness and then leave it up to God in that moment. I need to give you a moment to talk about this. And then I, 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 I need to go a little bit longer today because I've got an amazing story to tell you at the end. But I do want you to talk about this question at your table. What most challenges you about Stephen being gospel bold as God's courageous witness? What most speaks to you about his testimony of you as you've heard it right now? Talk about that at your tables. Then we'll come back. I'll tell you a story and we'll pray. Okay, let me wrap it up, guys, by just bringing you back to the main point. Talking about heroes of the faith. Stephen is without question a hero of the faith. One of the most heroic things you can do is just be God's courageous witness. As you go through life, as the Holy Spirit leads you, and there will probably come one or two or three times in your life with your knees shaking, I guarantee Stephen never woke up that morning thinking he'd be brought before the Sanhedrin. He was just an ordinary guy like you and me that became a hero of the faith by God's grace. And God wants to raise you up in his time, in his setting, to do the same and be the same. Um, one of the most courageous Christians I've ever met in my life is this man right here. His name's Shadanka. He's from Sierra Leone. In, uh, from 1990 to 2002, a, a terrible uh, civil war ravaged the country of Sierra Leone. Over 100,000 people were maimed and killed and millions, over 2 million were, had to flee their home and rebels just raped and, and killed and pillaged and it was terrible. And Shadanka was a pastor and he was preaching against the evil, the wickedness of this. And the leader of the evil was a commander named Joan Nunez. And he was seeking to kill Shadanka, but Shadanka would seek to preach, but he was smart. Well, ultimately, uh, you know, they caught Shadanka, and they brought Shadanka before uh, this commander, Joan, Joe Nooney is his name. And uh, as he was brought in, he was behind his desk. This is Shadanka, but the commander is behind his desk, as Shadanka told me. And they brought him in, and they... He was handcuffed, and they brought him to his knees, and there Joe looked at him and said, There you are, you troublemaker. Finally, I have you. And he took out his pistol from his desk, and he walked around, walked up, and he was going to execute Shadonka right there. Pointed the gun right at Shadonka's head. And Shadonka said, Commander, before you execute me, I want to ask you to please ask Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. Because if you do this, you will go to hell. And I don't want you to go to hell. I want you to go to heaven. And Joe heard those words, and he lowered the gun. And he said, this man is not right in his mind. Get him out of here. And Shadonka was like, oh. Later, Shadonka was praying for this. Or this, this Joe was so amazed at this testimony that he... Uh, found Shadonka at night like Nicodemus came. And he said, Shadonka, you must tell me about this Jesus that you would die for. 
And Joe surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. And today, Joe serves in Shadonka's church. You know? My point is this. Shadonka was delivered from death. Stephen was martyred. None of us can decide how we will die. Only how we will live. Let every one of us. We have had the privilege of being face-to-face with Stephen. Put in the Bible for a reason. I pray you will never forget his courage. And you and I will take what we've heard this morning and be like Shadonka, be like Stephen, and put our life into God's hands, right? Because we don't know when. Amen? Let's, let's stand and let me pray. And we'll let you go. Lord Jesus, we stand in honor of you. Each of us admits that we don't know how much time we have. We, we can't orchestrate how we will die. We can only make decisions about how we will live. Lord, I've tried to do my best to just preach through this and try to make application. And I look at Stephen and how he lived and how he died. And I just pray, Lord, that you'd send us out, God, just to joyfully be your witnesses, wherever that might lead. God, raise us up in your, the power of your Holy Spirit to be your men and women, to share with love and grace and kindness and faith like we've talked about this morning. Thank you for our time together. All God's people said? Amen. Amen. Have a great day.